So we've talked about a bunch of different stuff in the series so far. And today we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit, or the gifts of the Spirit, which is what I would normally say if I didn't have that weird little shrill shriek there. So if you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it will come up on the screen behind me. We're going to read the first 12 verses from there and then get into it. But I do want to say this is a bit of a disclaimer first. I know a lot of people in this room, I don't know all of you, some of you are new to me, maybe you're new here today. What we're going to read today might seem a little bit unusual to you. This might seem a little bit like Christian Hogwarts or Christian superheroes or Avengers or something like that. Because we're going to talk about some of the supernatural things that God does. And you might sit through this and be a little bit cynical or skeptical of what I'm talking about. I just want to ask you to hear me out because we love what the scriptures say and we want to learn them and we want to believe them and we want to apply them to our lives. I think I understand the cynical side because I remember as like a 12 or maybe 14 year old, I went to this youth camp down the south coast at um, the lovely little youth spot in Annerley. Some of you guys might have been to. And there was this one evening after the kind of evening session where they said, listen, guys, if anyone wants to stay now, we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit and pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. And I was interested, you know, I thought, why is everyone else going off to grab hot chocolate? This is going to be a really interesting, amazing moment. And I stayed and I was filled with the Spirit for the first time. And I spoke in tongues, this gift of the Spirit, this God language that helped me to pray and communicate with God for the first time. And it was an amazing evening. Honestly, for me, a life-changing evening. I remember walking out of that room feeling on fire for God and so excited about the stuff God does. And being in that room, kind of not knowing what to expect because this was all new to me. And seeing some people touched by God in different ways. I think some people were in tears, not because they were sad, but I think because they were seeing the beauty of God in a fresh way that evening. I think some people were filled with joy and started to laugh as God was working in their hearts in some ways. Some people just seemed lost in worship. I think they were just captured by awe and wonder at the power of God. And others started to speak in tongues like I did, or maybe to prophesy or to be moved by the Spirit of God in different and interesting ways. And I went home after that, really on fire and excited about what God would do. But I wasn't going to tell my parents this because my parents weren't Christians. They're not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. And I just thought, what are they going to think if they find this out? You know, it seems a little bit odd. But my beautiful sister, two and a half years younger than me, told my parents that I had been filled with the Spirit and was speaking in tongues now. And it was such an awkward moment. You know, I remember looking at my folks who are the most loving and supportive people in the world. And their eyes had this like calm panic on them, you know, like what has my son gotten involved in? Is he part of a cult now? Is he, what is going on at this place? Like, I think they just pictured me standing in a room with other people speaking in gibberish and just losing our minds. I think that's what was going through their heads. And it really did take some time for me and someone else to talk them down off a cliff. And I think they weren't completely comfortable with what was going on, but they were a little bit more settled and a little bit more easy. Some of this stuff does sound a little bit odd. So I understand if today you have a touch of apprehension as we talk about this. But I also know some of you in the room, this is what you've been waiting for the whole series. You know, you've been like, get rid of all this walking by the Spirit, transformed by the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit nonsense. Let's get onto the cool supernatural stuff the Spirit does. And you're keen to get in there. And I understand that too. For some Christians, they do seem to go too far and seem obsessed with the supernatural things that the Spirit does. And I'm sure a lot of us in this room have been in church meetings or conferences or events where things have happened that you don't find in the Bible, things have happened that you don't see Jesus doing that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and are a little bit weird. Even as we prayed this morning, someone was praying for those in the room who maybe you've got an apprehension about the Spirit because of things you've experienced. I want to just suggest today, 
We're not after that. But we want the fullness of what Jesus offers us when it comes to the Spirit. And hopefully as we go through some verses today, you'll see what Jesus offers us. And then we'll begin to live into that just a little bit more. So my goal today is that every one of us would leave here with an understanding that normal, everyday life in the Spirit includes the empowering of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit being given to us to do the works of God and to reveal what God is like to the people around us. We don't want to be a weird church. We've probably all experienced some weird stuff in church before, but we do want to be supernaturally natural and naturally supernatural. We want to find this way of in the everyday aspects of life, letting the Spirit work and speak and do His works through us. And I'm hoping today that every one of us grow in faith because this is not just for a select few. This is for every one of us sitting here. So 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1 says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another the workings of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another the various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or gives or distributes to each one individually, each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body are many in one body, so it is with Christ. So Paul starts this passage with these words. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. And that makes so much sense that he would start with this. You know, you think Paul is doing his pastoral duty. He's teaching, he's discipling, he's mentoring this church. He's being a good pastor, maybe like I'm doing today, trying to help them understand a different aspect of Christian life and a different aspect of what life in the Spirit looks like. That's what Paul is doing. But that's actually not what's going on here. This church in Corinth, according to the New Testament, seems to be the most gift-filled church. They have this abundance of spiritual gifts. And as you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, and particularly 1 Corinthians 14, we see how chaotic their church services seem to be because of everything that was going on. Probably a traditional church service for them would have looked like this. You'd have had about four or five people speaking at the same time, everyone trying to show off the gift of tongues that they had, or speaking in tongues at the top of their voice so that everyone else could see that they had this gift. And then on top of this, there'd be some people prophesying or sharing a word from Scripture or praying for someone to be healed or something. It was chaos. It was this crazy circus-like environment that Paul says, actually, your Sunday gatherings are more harm than good. Imagine someone said that about your church. When you guys get together, you do more harm than you do good. So Paul is actually writing to this people that are super gifted to bring order. He didn't need to explain what healing was. 
Everyone knew someone in the congregation or in their lives who had been healed by God. He didn't need to explain what miracles were. Everyone had seen God do a miracle. He didn't need to explain prophecy or tongues or all of these things because everyone in this community knew that God worked in this way. So Paul um, is speaking to them because he doesn't want them to be uninformed or ignorant, but it's not because of a lack of gifting. In some ways, when I read something like this, I think surely a church like ours needs to not be uninformed or ignorant, you know? We see these things happen from time to time, but we are nowhere like the Corinthians. But it seems that actually for them, they had a distorted understanding of what these gifts were all about. It was unhealthy, it was unhelpful, and Paul is writing to them to help them to see more clearly and to understand. So I was reading a book called I Believe in the Holy Spirit by Michael Green, and he talks about all of the areas where the Corinthian church had issues that needed to be adjusted by Paul. And there were three that stood out to me. The first is that their behavior looked nothing like Jesus. As much as this church was gifted and seeing this outpouring of God's grace on their lives and seeing God do incredible supernatural things, they were not holy or righteous or godly at all. They were not obeying God's commands. They were not following Jesus. They were just doing their own thing. And there's a huge lesson for us to learn in that. Just because someone is gifted doesn't mean that they're living a good or godly life. The second thing that Michael Green speaks about is they were experience-orientated. These people were obsessed with the things that the Spirit did. They were chasing after those all the time, and particularly the gift of tongues. If you didn't speak in the gift of tongues, you were really out in this church. And beyond just being obsessed with gifts, they were obsessed with charismatic or gifted leaders. They were chasing after the next big speaker. And really, rather than caring about Jesus, they would kind of push Jesus aside for the next experience or the next idea or teaching or the next gifted leader that was coming to town because they wanted more of that stuff. To them, Jesus wasn't enough. And then probably the third thing which marked this church is they were so individualistic. I know I've maybe exaggerated the picture a bit, but these people were constantly trying to show off with the gifts of the Spirit so that other people would see how gifted and spiritual they were and would be in awe of them. They were living and using these gifts, these gifts of God's grace given to build up the church to make themselves look good. And Paul is writing and saying, that's not the point. These gifts are given to you by God to reveal God's love and his heart and to build up the community, not just to make you look good or make you feel good about yourselves. So Paul writes to correct their thinking. And he says that the gifts are not an indicator of spiritual maturity or of holiness or of morality. That's a really big thing for us to understand here. Just because someone is gifted is not a barometer of their spirituality at all. Some people are incredibly gifted by God. Some churches are incredibly gifted by God because of his grace, but they're actually far from God in terms of what they believe and in the way that they live. These gifts that God gives are not things that we earn or necessarily that we deserve or that we can win by doing certain things. These are given freely by God's grace as love gifts to his people to build up and strengthen the church. And the thing is, as we look at these gifts, we so often drift from this truth. We so often don't believe the truth of the gospel, that it is all by God's grace. You know, we believe it and we know it. On Sunday, we talk about it. We sing those songs. Jesus did it all on the cross. He loves us. He accepts us by what he's done, not by what we've done. And then by Monday, if you're anything like me, I've moved on from that, you know. I'm no longer believing that Jesus has done it all. He's done enough for me. And all of a sudden, I'm basing my relationship on God by things that I do, 
my Bible knowledge or how I've spoken to Shell in the morning or how I drove to work or how I treat people who are different to me or the way I speak or the way I handle money or my sexuality or whatever it might be, all of a sudden my standing before God is not based on what Jesus has done, but it's the things that I do. And this is where the Corinthian church kept falling back. They were so gifted, but they were not living out the ways of Jesus. When I was young, I was part of the Boy Scouts or the Cubs. You can imagine little Grant with his little khaki outfit on, a little scarf and a little hat. And what would happen is I got my cheetah badge, my leopard badge, my lion badge over time. And then you could get these other little um, uh, badges for different things you did. So I remember getting my cooking badge. One Saturday, I had to set up the bra, make the salad, do the meat, prepare everything, cook everything, clean everything up afterwards. And then my folks would write a letter to our Kayla, who was our little troop leader, saying that I had done everything I needed to qualify for and get my badge. My mom would sew it onto my sleeve. And there were like orienteering badges and not badges and all sorts of different badges you could get. I had a decent arm for. But what Paul is saying here is this church in Corinth were living like that. Have you seen? Have you seen what I've got? Have you seen? I'm speaking in tongues. Have you seen? I prophesy. I've got the gift of healing. And they were showing these things off like they'd earned them. But that's not what Jesus has done. Jesus has given these things freely to them, not because of anything they have done or earned. They were showing these off like badges of honor, but they had not received these because of their morality or their maturity, but because of God's grace. So let's take a look at some of these gifts of the Spirit. This is the order that Paul puts them in. The first is the word of wisdom. And maybe some of you guys have had this before. A word of wisdom is when God gives you some kind of particular revelation or insight in a situation on what to do when you have got no idea what to do. It's an amazing gift. Secondly is the word of knowledge. This is when the Holy Spirit gives you some kind of insight into someone's life or into a situation about what is going on. Probably a good example of that is in John 4, where Jesus is by the well with that woman. And he's speaking to her, and all of a sudden he just knows about her living situation. He knows about the four husbands she's had. He knows about her past. And he doesn't bring this stuff up to shame her, but he brings this stuff up to open up her heart so that he can speak to her about the truth of God's love and grace for her, so that he can point her to God and help her to begin to follow him again. That's something about the word of knowledge is. Then there's the gift of faith. This is a moment where suddenly you've got the supernatural expectation or trust that God is going to do something that you should have no reason of knowing he is going to do. It's the certainty. You know that God will come through in a situation in a certain way because he has stirred this up in your heart. And fourthly, gifts of healing. This is when God works supernaturally through someone to heal a sickness or a disease. I just wanted to ask this because I think this might help. Is there anyone in this room, and I'd love you to raise your hand here, if you've ever prayed for someone to be healed by the Holy Spirit, or someone has prayed for you to be healed by the Holy Spirit, or maybe someone in your lives has been healed supernaturally by God. Could I ask you just to raise your hand? We've maybe got 15 people, well, it seems a little bit more, maybe 20 people in the room. We'll keep going. Next, we've got miracles, like turning water into wine, or calming a storm, or walking on water, or feeding the 5,000 with just a few fish and a little bit of bread. A miracle is this unusual supernatural act where God breaks the normal order of things to do something spectacular, which points to his power. We've got prophecy. A prophetic word is where God speaks 
personally through someone to an individual or to a group of people to strengthen, comfort, and encourage. But it's like a now word. It's something that is so applicable and relevant in that moment, you can't deny that God is speaking. I just thought, again, anyone in this room, either you have had God speak to you to prophesy to someone, or you've experienced someone prophesying over you. So I ask you to raise your hands. Maybe about 50, I don't know how many that is. We've got discerning between spirits. This is an interesting one because we can easily spiritualize our judgmentalism and call it this. But to discern between spirits is where we've got insight into kind of the source or the reason that people are doing something, their motivation behind their behavior or in a situation. And then lastly, we've got tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And this is an interesting gift. I know we've talked about this a little bit in this series. But really in the New Testament, we see three types of tongues. The first in the Greek is xenoglossolalia. You can drop that at Life Group on Tuesday and look really, really slick. This is when someone actually speaks in a foreign language, like uh, something they haven't learned at university or school, not a country they grew up in, not a language they know. But It's like the Spirit gives them a language, Portuguese, uh, Mandarin, Spanish, whatever it might be. And by the influence of the Spirit, they speak in that language so that others would hear and understand what God is wanting to say to them. Quite an incredible thing. It happens in Acts chapter 2 that we looked at a while ago, where people from every nation hear these Greek people speaking in their own languages. So incredible. The second thing is more a general word of tongues. This would be in a meeting like this or a life group meeting where someone feels like God has given them a tongue, something to say in this language given by God that they speak, which needs to be interpreted because no one would understand it otherwise. And the third type of tongue is where we pray in tongues in private or personally. It's a prayer language that we've got to speak to God and connect with God, which really builds us up and encourages us. I just wanted to ask, Anyone in this room, you pray in tongues or you've experienced tongues and interpretation somewhere in your life? Maybe you can raise your hands a little bit higher. There's probably, I don't know, 50, 60. I'm not great at guessing there. The reason I wanted to ask some people to raise their hands is this. It's easy to talk about this and think that happened way back then. And I just thought in this room, most of you are saying that you've seen some of these things, and I didn't do them all, at some point in your life. Everyday, ordinary people like you and like I, maybe you're extraordinary, I'm an ordinary guy, has been used by God and has experienced the power of God in these ways to impact my life or someone else's life. That's incredible. I just thought if you're new to this church and you're new to what I'm talking about today, maybe to you this is the Christian Hogwarts kind of thing, I want your expectation to stir that God could use you in this way that God could minister through or speak through you in one of these ways. And also for some of us who've been in the church for a long time, maybe back in the day this was burning in your heart to see God do some of these things. But over time you've grown a little bit cold in this. This has become old. You've kind of lost faith that God could do these things. I'm hoping today faith would rise, that actually we'd start to have a fresh expectation that actually God could speak through you or heal through you or do a miracle or change a situation supernaturally by his power and that we would begin to expect him to do it again. And trust him to do that through us. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11. It says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions or distributes to each one individually as he wills. And I was standing in worship and I changed the illustration I had here. So I've been thinking about ways that I've been given a gift in the past. You know, gifts that I've received that have been incredible. But I was thinking about when I went and bought an engagement ring for Shell. And I remember that process. I wanted to give her 
the best ring that I could, you know? I actually didn't care about the money. If I'd had millions, I would have spent millions on this ring because this meant so much to me. What this represented was huge. And I remember going to this shop and getting this ring designed and giving the money. It was the easiest money I ever spent in my life, even though it was a lot of money. And we went away to Zimbabwe with her family for a few days. And I remember the ring was getting made. And as soon as we got back, I was going to go to that store and check out this ring. And my heart was like a bit nervous. So I thought, imagine I get back and this ring is terrible. Like imagine they've absolutely ruined the design I gave and the money's gone. I don't know if they can fix it or change it or what they do. And I remember getting there that day and picking up this ring and just being so excited to give her this gift. And I thought of the Holy Spirit, you know. I would have paid more money if I'd had more money. I wanted that ring to be perfect for Shell. It was the most important gift I would ever give her, I think. But I just thought of the Holy Spirit preparing these gifts for us, each one of us here, because each one of us his gifts apportioned to us. And just thinking of him spending the money, what it costs, making sure this is prepared and perfect to give to each one of us, and actually wanting to hand these out to people in this church. Some of you are already doing this. This is normal to you. Maybe for some of you today, you need to receive the ring. For some of you today, you need to receive this thing that the Holy Spirit has perfectly prepared for you because he is so excited to give it, and he's so excited for you to enjoy this gift and to use this gift for the benefit of others. The Holy Spirit gifts us, or maybe more accurately, he manifests himself in many different ways through different people at different times to reveal God's love to us. That's what he's doing with all of this stuff. But this doesn't happen automatically. This is a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. And I remember that night, the first time I spoke in tongues, or maybe for some of you spoke gibberish in that room, I remember being there and thinking, this is new to me. I don't know what's about to happen, you know. Is God just going to take over my mouth and just speak through me? Am I going to be out of control? In a way, I was excited about that because I just thought, it sounds amazing. You know, I was intrigued at least. But that's not the way it works. In fact, the way the Spirit works is so much more everyday and ordinary. I needed to open my mouth. I needed to speak those words that were going out in my mind. And honestly, at first it felt a little bit awkward was a little bit new. It was the first time I'd done this stuff. But over time, it started to grow and grow in me. And I could feel this prayer language edifying and building me up inside. It's the same with prophecy. If God speaks to you and gives you a word for someone else or yourself or someone uh, for a community like this, it's nerve-wracking to go and share that word. You have to take the steps. You need to open your mouth. You need to speak this out. Otherwise, that word will not be shared or at least won't be shared by you. That's why if today or some other time you feel like the Spirit is speaking to you, it's so good to share that word humbly. To go to someone like Shane and say, Shane, I think the Spirit is wanting to say this to you and share that word. And then to say something like, does that resonate with you? You know why I think that's a helpful thing to do? Firstly, because if he says, that is spot on, you don't realize how relevant that is to me. You know you've heard from God. And you've partnered with God to speak to someone and encourage them. The second thing is it teaches them that actually we should test every word that is given to see if it really is from God. You know, we don't want to be cynical about this stuff, but we also don't want to be naive. Not everything that is said or done in the name of God is from God. So we want to humbly share these things. But these gifts are a partnership between us and the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, I was in Kloof at an optician. And I was getting my sunglasses fixed because the little screw or whatever had popped out and the arm was disconnected. So I went in and they gave me a new screw and they set this whole thing up. 
I was at the counter wanting to pay. There was a slightly older woman standing next to me, and I got chatting to her while all of this was going on. And I found out what was why she was there, what was wrong with her eyes. And, you know, I was in that moment, I was thinking, God, I really want to see you heal people. I believe you're a healer. I'm going to step out and just kind of take a little risk. I'm going to offer. So I looked at this lady and I said, thank you for sharing what's going on with your eyes. I believe that God can heal people who are sick. Would you like me to pray for you? And she looked me in the eyes, not with that same calm panic my parents had, but definitely with that look of, wow, this guy's a real life crazy person. And she kindly said to me, no, thank you. And it was one of those moments where you're like, I didn't stick the dismount, you know, like that really burnt, that really hurts, but it was fine. I awkwardly walked out of there after ending that conversation. My pride was hurt a little bit, but it was fine. It wasn't the end of the world. I'd offered something that God did and it hadn't gone the way I had hoped. And I've prayed with a lot of people who have wanted to be prayed for, to be healed. And sometimes people have been healed and a lot of time, more times than not, they haven't been. But on Friday night last week, I got an incredibly encouraging SMS from my mom, which blew my mind. Um, We found out about a year ago that my mom had a melanoma behind her eye. And it's quite scary when you hear the C word, cancer, you never know what's going to happen, you know. And I remember us going to see my parents and to pray with my mom and to really ask God to heal her because we were scared. And I remember going that night, and if I can be honest, I was... um, It felt like a bit of a risk, you know? Just thought to myself, like I've shared, as loving and supportive as my parents are, they are not followers of Jesus. And what if when I say, can I pray for you, my mom rejects me? Or the worst case scenario in my mind is she says to me something like, Grant, this is serious. I don't want that nonsense, you know? I thought, you know what would be even worse is my mom says to me, of course you can pray for me, and I pray, and she doesn't get healed, and she's angry at God over the situation. So I remember going that night, not feeling in the zone, not having a gift of faith, not like roaring with this, but saying, I'm going to pray with my mom because I want her to be healed. Not because of the faith that I have in myself, because of anything that I am. I don't feel great. I'm not like all prayed up and charged. We prayed in the car on the way there. And we went and we said, mom, can we pray with you? And I humbly laid hands on her and Shell and I prayed a basic prayer and asked that she would be healed. And on Friday night, we got a message from my mom saying she's cancer-free and the melanoma is completely gone. I've shared the story with some of you before. Six months ago, she went for a test and that thing had shrunk after treatment. It wasn't meant to shrink, but the doctor said it had shrunk to almost two millimeters. And now six months later, it's completely gone. She's cancer-free. It's a story that's in process. I don't know what will go on in six months' time, but it amazed me. Because there have been many moments where we've prayed with different people, with more people, with more faith over more time. But for some reason, God healed my mom in this situation. And I must say, honestly, preaching today, I love that I've got a fresh story like that to share with you. As much as it's personal to me, I love that I've got a thing from this weekend to tell you about what God is still doing today. But I just thought for some of you in this room, you're going, well, God, I don't have a story. You know, I don't have a story from my life. I've been praying I've been trusting God. I've been asking for these kind of things. And this hasn't happened. We've walked with people who have lost loved ones. God hasn't healed them in the way that he's healed my mom. So I understand that. But I want to say, even if you don't have a fresh story of God's power, the scriptures have got fresh promise of what he is able to do. And I want to encourage you guys today that God didn't heal my mom 
because of my spiritual greatness. He healed her because of his spiritual greatness and his faithfulness and his love and his goodness. I'm going to pop some champagne this afternoon and celebrate what God has done with my mom because it's so, so cool. But I want to end with this. Don't disqualify yourself from being used by God in these ways. There are a number of lists throughout the New Testament of the different spiritual gifts that God gives to the church and the different ways he meets with his people and ministers to his people. So one in Romans, one in 1 Peter, one in Ephesians. And this one in the book of Corinthians was written to a specific church in Corinth at a specific time. I wonder if Paul wrote that letter to us today in Durban, if that list would look a little bit different. Maybe there'd be 12 gifts, maybe four, maybe they'd look a little bit different. I'm not 100% sure. Because that list of nine gifts is not exhaustive. That's not all of the spiritual gifts. It's descriptive. It's trying to describe the kinds of things that the Spirit of God is doing. The diverse works of the Spirit. Because the Corinthian church only cared about tongues. Maybe you come from a background where you only care about healing. Maybe you only care about prophecy. Maybe you only care about serving. I don't know what it is. But Paul is trying to paint a picture that the Spirit does a whole bunch of different stuff. And it's all important. And we need all of it. And right at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, there are two more lists of spiritual gifts you might not have seen before. In verse 28 and verse 29 to 30. So I'll just read them briefly. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. This is the second list now. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And what really struck me here is that there's three types of gifts in each of these lists. The first is uh, uh, gifts of people, apostles, prophets, and teachers. The second are the gifts we've already looked at, the manifestation or spiritual gifts. And he lists their miracles, gifts of healing, and tongues. And the third group is helping or service and administration. You've got people, the stuff the Spirit does, and these very natural, ordinary gifts. And then he goes into another list where he takes some out and he adds some new ones in. It's very weird what Paul is playing at here. And I think what he's trying to show us is this. The Spirit of God works in unique and dynamic and diverse ways to minister to one another. And I would hate you to be in this church and to compare the natural or supernatural or whatever gifts you might have with someone else and say, I'm less than, I'm inferior, or disqualify yourself from being used by God because each of us are gifted and used by the Spirit to build up this community. So if you have got something that God has given you, whether it's natural, whether it's supernatural, I want to encourage you to bring that and to use that, because this community needs it. And Paul ends with these words in 1 Corinthians 14.1, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. These gifts are given to reveal the love of God to us, that we would know what he is like and we would know what he feels towards us. And he calls us to earnestly desire them. And honestly, my desire would be that today, like almost a flip was switch. A switch was flipped. There we go. A switch was flipped for all of us. And all of a sudden we started to live this stuff out. All of a sudden we felt filled and empowered and led by the Spirit. And these gifts started to come through each of our lives as the Spirit has 
apportioned or distributed them. But I think this will take time for us to grow into. So this is what I want to encourage each of us to do. This is what Paul and Jesus, the Word of God, is teaching us when it comes to spiritual gifts. We should earnestly desire them. We should desire that God would do this stuff in us and through us. So I want to encourage you to pray that God would give you these gifts, whichever ones they might be, for your sake, for our sake, for others' sake. That God could build up this church and use this church to serve and influence Durban. And beyond that, that he would show his love through you as you do this. And lastly, that you and I, as the Spirit nudges us tomorrow, this afternoon, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, as he nudges us to pray for someone to be healed, to share something with someone that comes to mind as we're thinking about them. As maybe there's a situation which seems too big and you're going to say at work, can we pray about that? Or I am praying about that. To not just back off and be quiet, but to step out and take a risk that the Spirit could use you in that way. Maybe you don't stick the dismount the first time or the second time, but we will grow with practice and time to be a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered, Spirit-gifted church that is being used by God in these ways to serve other people and to reveal His love. Can I ask we stand and we're just going to pray together?
Um, so, a while back I was given uh, this beautiful watch that I'm wearing right now, um, and at that time, really, it wasn't that great for me. I would have preferred, I would have preferred something uh, minimalistic and simple, uh, with, with black leather strip maybe, uh, just to fit out with my outfits and whatnot. But uh, um, this watch came, came with a really good word, and the word was, uh, God's God has time for you and in, and, and in his timing. So I was like, ah, it has a soft spot in my heart. So uh, I started to wear the watch. Anyways, because my other one um, got broken. And I was wearing it this one time at school. And the guys at the staff room were just saying, like, what? You're wearing a Buran? And I'm like, I have no idea what a Buran watch is. They're like, you're wearing a Buran? That's why it's so expensive. Whoever gave it to you. You, they really like you. And I'm like, what? Is this a beautiful watch? And then I look it up online. I'm like, yo, this is an expensive watch. So since that point, I never stopped wearing this watch. And I started to appreciate it even more. And I'm just thinking, as Grant has been sharing on gifts, um, that what is the gift that God has given to you? And you might have your own preference that I would have liked this gift or that gift. But God has this specific gift for you. And, and the encouragement is to understand the value and the worth of that gift. And to start using it for the glory of God. That actually through this morning and through um, this preaching that God will give us faith and courage to use those gifts in the glory uh, of Him. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you for having the faith to stand up and, and share and exercise your gift. But I wonder how many of us are sitting on gifts? How many of us are sitting on watches that we don't know the value of that um, that actually can I encourage you this week to step out in faith and, and, and just wear your watch, wear what God has given you and exercise your faith. So thanks for coming. Great to see you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Grant. Great word. Happy Mother's Day. Don't forget, if you're a mom, there's a small, there's a free cappuccino for you and a little treat at the table. But have a good week. We'll see you soon.